Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. We, we do welcome Center Street Church, those of you who are um, here at Central Campus, uh, also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland in South Calgary, and also in the Crowfoot Theatres of Northwest Calgary. And of course, we do welcome those of you who are joining us online. I want to commend you all for remembering to put your clocks ahead one hour last night. And I uh, would ask that you would pray for me as now I attempt to communicate to thousands of people who lost an hour of sleep. <laughs> who are most likely grumpy and tired and will be ever so tempted to make up for that lost sleep while listening to me today. <laughs> We're in a study of the book of James. And as we near the end of this challenging book, James focuses on the importance of prayer. And beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5, He essentially says, whatever you are facing in life, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, let your first response always be to turn to your heavenly Father in prayer. Because the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of a person who's in right relationship with God, is powerful and effective. And so I'm going to invite you to get a little bit more exercise and to stand and join me in reading our scripture lesson for today. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church, pray over them, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will rise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produce crops. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James, for inspiring him to write these words. And Lord, the passage we're looking at that we just read, Lord, um, uh, is a challenging one. And we ask, O oh God, that you would um, open up our minds. Lord, you would soften our hearts. And you would give us, Lord, the will and the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. may be seated. Now, before uh, we jump into this passage, I need to point out that not all Bible-believing Christians are in agreement on what this passage is saying. And that's a nice way of saying is that I expect to get a lot of extra emails this week. People helping me to understand where I'm not right or whatever. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to slow right down and I'm going to take us through this passage one phrase at a time and try to shed some light on it. James starts out in verse 14 by asking, is anyone among you sick? Now right off the bat, we know that the sickness that James is talking about 
is more than the flu or a head cold. The person in question is really sick, likely bedridden. And the reason we know that is because this person actually is calling the elders to come, likely to their home, and asking them to pray over them. This is a serious sickness. Which leads me to ask, what kind of sickness are we talking about here? Are we only talking about physical illness? Well, the word for sick in the original language is asthenio, which means to be weak, to be feeble, to be without strength. In other words, we're talking about someone who is really weak, either physically and or emotionally and or spiritually. Some people in that day were sick emotionally. They had witnessed their loved ones get beaten, be imprisoned, even executed. They lived with fear. They were abused physically and financially day in and day out. They were so distressed, discouraged, and weary that their faith and their hope in God was wavering. They were questioning the goodness of God. They lacked the will to carry on. They were sick emotionally. Other people in that day were spiritually sick. They were living in sin. They were disobeying God, habitually sinning in some way. And it was making them sick. Spiritually, perhaps emotionally, in some cases even physically. Now in John chapter 9, verse 1 to 4, Jesus taught that not all sickness is the result of sin. And so when we get the flu, or even something as serious as cancer, we must not conclude that God is punishing us for sin in our lives. But having said that, sometimes God will allow sickness into the life of a person who is stubbornly thumbing their nose at God and continues to sin even though they know it's offensive to God. Sometimes God, out of love and concern for us, will allow some form of sickness or weakness into our lives to get our attention or to attempt to bring correction to our lives. But the source of the sickness in this particular instance isn't physical at all. It's spiritual. It's a rebellious spirit against God. And so some people were sick emotionally and spiritually. And then, of course, there were those who were weak or sick physically. They were suffering. Their illness was draining them of energy and joy. They were wondering why God wasn't responding to their prayers. And so when James writes, is any among you sick? He's really asking, is there anyone who feels so weak emotionally, spiritually, or physically that you're angry at God? You're doubting his goodness. You're doubting the faithfulness of God. You're even doubting the existence of God. Or you're so discouraged and in such despair that you're unable to carry on. You can't even pray anymore. Well, if that is where you find yourself, James says, then don't go it alone. Share your burdens with God in prayer, of course. But also reach out to the community of faith, to the spiritually strong in the church. 
In verse 14, he writes, let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So who are these elders? Well, in our church tradition, the elders are the ordained pastors of our church as laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. However, even though the role of elders is vital in the church and taught in the New Testament, of course, a principle that is also strongly emphasized in the New Testament is that God's power is not relegated to a certain elite group of people. In other words, elders or pastors do not have a special in with God. Their prayers are not necessarily more powerful or effective than the prayers of other followers of Christ. In fact, if you look down to verse 16, James challenges us to be in relationship with others in the church. And to know at least a few others well enough to be open with them about our struggles, to care for one another, and to regularly support one another in prayer. He writes, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, I don't know about you, but confessing your sins to someone else, you know, really brings with it the suggestion, the strong suggestion that you're pretty close to that person. But he says, therefore, confess your sins, your struggles to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James says that one of the key ways that God gives us hope and joy and peace and restores and heals us emotionally, spiritually, and physically is through the love and the encouragement and the prayers of others in the church. And so even though a certain, in certain circumstances a person may call on the elders and pastors for special prayer, James encourages us to reach out for prayer to those people that we're in community with, that we're in relationship with, a, a group of others that we're spending time with and doing life with, that we would reach out to them for prayer. Those that we would sense are genuinely humble and spiritually strong. James writes, the elders are the spiritually strong of the church are to pray over them and anoint them with oil. So why anoint with oil? Well, the oil is only a symbol. It has no special divine power in itself to bring healing the way that some churches believe. And we could get into all of that, but we simply don't have time. Rather, in the same way, the communion bread is a symbol of God's, of Christ's body, and the communion wine is a symbol of Christ's blood, and the baptism water is a symbol of being cleansed from our sins and becoming one with Christ. So the anointing oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's power to heal and to restore the weak. James writes that the elders or the spiritually strong are to pray and anoint the person who is sick in the name of the Lord. So what does it mean to pray 
in the name of the Lord. Well, first of all, it means to pray in line with who Jesus is, in alignment with the character and the very nature of Jesus. It means your prayer is consistent with who Jesus is, with what Jesus taught, and fundamentally how Jesus himself would pray. Furthermore, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in alignment with his will. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we asked of him. So how do we know God's will in a given situation? Well, God reveals his will through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples shortly before he ascended to heaven in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit reveals God's will to us in one of two ways. First and foremost, the Spirit reveals God's will to us through the Scriptures or the Logos Word of God. The Logos Word is God's Word, God's truth, God's promises really for everyone. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This verse says that God wants everyone to be saved. That is his will. And so when we pray for someone to come to faith in Christ, be it someone at work or school or a family member, we can pray with great faith and great confidence because we know we're praying in the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit reveals God's will through the Bible, his Logos word. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit also reveals God's will to us personally through a rhema word, a word to you directly as an individual, a word that may come from the scriptures because you've all had the experience of reading the scriptures and, and suddenly there's a word or a phrase that just pops off the page and you know the Spirit's directing that to you. That's a rhema word from the scriptures. But he may also reveal a rhema word to you um, through a prompting or perhaps through a whisper. For example, if you go down to verse 17, James includes the story of Elijah. And he includes it not just to fill space. He includes it very strategically to illustrate what he's been teaching. And so... Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now in chapter 17 and 18, you read about the super miracle working power of Elijah's prayers. He prays and a dead boy is raised to life. He prays and fire comes from heaven, lights up an altar soaked in gallons of water. 
much to the shock of 400 prophets of Baal. He prays and there's no rain for three and a half years. And then he prays again three and a half years later and it begins to rain. Now we read about these miracles and we conclude, wow, you know, Elijah was some incredible prayer warrior. This guy had a direct line to God, special connection with God. He's way out of my league when it comes to praying with faith and confidence. But now look at verse 17 of James again. Elijah was a human being even as we are. Really? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now we read that, and we go, come on, James. Elijah wasn't just a human being like us. I mean, every winter I pray for warm weather and no snow. (laughs) Except at Christmas, of course. I look around, it's March, still snowing, still cold. But look at here, Elijah, he prays for it not to rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed it would start raining, and it did. Elijah, moved to Calgary. (laughs) Who are you kidding, James? There's no way that Elijah was a human being just like us. You see, here's the thing. The reason Elijah's prayer of faith was so effective, the reason he prayed with such passion and confidence was not because he was some super gifted prayer warrior. It was because the word of the Lord came to him before he prayed. Look at 1 Kings 17 again. Look at verse 2. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Look down at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Turn over to chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year of this drought, the word of the Lord came came to Elijah. And what was the word of the Lord? Go and present yourself to Ahab, to King Ahab, and just kind of let him know it's going to rain. So what was happening here? God gave Elijah a rhema word about what he wanted to do what his will was and what he wanted Elijah to pray for. Before every miracle, God essentially said to Elijah, this is what my will is. This is what I want to do. Now pray that my will will be done. Now to us it seems a little bit on the silly side, like why pray about something that God's going to do anyways? You see, God, for whatever reason, has chosen to involve us in his kingdom work in two ways. One is by having us pray, 
that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And also, of course, through our obedience, that we would actually do what he's calling us to do. And so the reason that Elijah's prayer of faith was so powerful is because he knew what the Lord's will was. Look at 1 Kings 18 again. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. You see, before Elijah announced to King Ahab it was going to rain again, before he prayed that it would rain again, God gave Elijah a rhema word that it was his will for it to rain again. God said, Elijah, this is what I'm going to do. This is my will. And that not only gave Elijah direction on what to pray for, but also gave him the faith to pray with total confidence because he knew what God's will was and what he was praying would become a reality. And as I said, God reveals his will to us First of all, through the pages of his word, which is why we want to be in the word, memorizing the word, reading it every day, so that our prayers can be informed by his will, not only for our life, but our family, our marriage, our community, our world. And then, of course, he also reveals his will through rhema words that come through the scriptures, but also through those whispers and promptings. Now, all this ties in with the next verse. Look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So what is the prayer offered in faith all about? Well, here's what it isn't. The prayer offered in faith isn't a positive mental attitude or a belief in a certain prayer formula that if followed will lead to a desired result. The prayer offered in faith isn't psyching yourself up to believe and to claim in prayer the person will be healed without any doubt about the outcome in your mind. The prayer of faith is not faith in the words of my prayer. The prayer of faith is not faith in myself at all, including the amount of faith that I have or don't have. Because all of this, if you think about it, is me trusting in my abilities, in my works. It's me having faith in my faith rather than in God who is the object of my faith. The prayer offered in faith means I am so convinced that I am praying according to the will of God that I am confident that God will provide what I'm asking for. 
Look again at 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Which means if we're asking anything outside of his will, he doesn't hear us. But then notice what he says next. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Notice the Apostle John links our confidence or faith in praying to knowing what God's will is. And so the key to praying the prayer of faith is in knowing that what you're praying is in fact the will of God. So let's get real practical at this point. Earlier we talked about three kinds of sickness that people have. Some people are emotionally sick. Let's say that you're a community leader in our church here. And someone you've met at church after one of the services, someone you've chatted with briefly for a few minutes off and on, calls you up one day and asks whether you and a few others would come over and just have prayer. Because the wheels of their life have kind of fallen off. The person has experienced much loss. He's experienced the death of his spouse. He lost his job. He has increasingly withdrawn from others and therefore is lonely. He's completely exhausted. He's questioning if there is a God, particularly a God who loves him and cares for him. He's convinced that God is not a good God. He's also convinced that God is punishing him for reasons he doesn't understand. He has lost the desire to live, actually, and has no desire to leave his home. So what would a prayer offered in faith look like in this situation? Well, it's pretty clear the major reason why this man is emotionally sick is because he has come to believe a number of lies not only about who God is, but who he is in Christ. And so we don't need a rhema word here. Because God's will is clearly spelled out in the scriptures. And that is to know the truth of God's word and to align our identity, our values, and our life with his truth. The prayers offered in faith in this situation, therefore, would be one that makes lots of reference to Bible passages that not only expose the lies that this man is believing, but affirm the truth about who God is and who this man is in Christ. And Paul says here, we can pray these prayers with total confidence because we know they are aligned with the truth of God's word and they are therefore aligned with the will of God. We can pray the prayer of faith with the confidence knowing that if this man embraces the truth of God, he will be made well. The Lord will raise him up in the same way that the Lord raised up 
If you go back to the story of Elijah, remember what happened to him? This is the part where he's pretty human. You know, after he's had the big tangle with the 400 prophets of Baal, fire comes down from heaven, the whole thing. Jezebel says, I'm going to take you out. And Elijah, he leaves town real quick. He doesn't even pack. He heads out into the wilderness, and he gets depressed, and he's, he, he, he's, he's about to give up. He just says, Lord, take my life. And when I read that, I say, oh, okay. Maybe he is a little bit like us. But while he was there, the Lord raised him up. Gave him new life, new hope, new energy through an angel who ministered to him in that time when he despaired of life itself. Or let's say the person who calls on you to pray for her is spiritually sick. She's sick because of sin. There's habitual sin in her life. Maybe she's harboring resentment and bitterness towards someone else. Maybe she has some ongoing secret sin. You know, she's confiscating funds at work. Or she's cheating some way at work. Or she's slandering others. Or she's lying about stuff. Or she has some sexual rendezvous, rendezvous going on that she's kind of keeping in the dark. But deep down inside, she knows that her behavior is offensive to God. But she keeps doing it anyways. And now she is just so sick of the way she's living. The way that she's thinking. She can't sleep. She, her stomach is in knots. Perhaps she's even getting physically sick. And trust me, I've met and prayed with a lot of people who get this sick because of sin. She is sick because of habitual sin in her life. And rebellion against God. So what would a prayer offered in faith involve in this situation? Well, again, the key here is to determine what God's will is. And again, we don't need to ask God for a rhema word because he's already made his will clearly known in the scriptures on matters like this. In John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an amazing promise. He wants us to live in victory. He wants us to live in freedom. His will's clear here. If a person is emotionally or spiritually or even physically sick because of habitual sin or a lifestyle of rebellion against God, God's will is that this person confesses or repents of their sin and their self-centeredness. And James says in verse 15, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. You see, I mean, you look at that and you go, gee, what, what, what's sin got to do with healing? But the thing is, it very much is tied to it on the basis of what we've already explained. And when he says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven, that means the discipline of God, if God is in fact disciplining them because of their rebellion, 
It's going to be lifted. They will be forgiven and they will be restored. The prayer of faith in this situation will be a prayer that follows the person's prayer of confession. And we'll focus on God's grace and mercy and God's promise all through Scripture that when we confess our sins, He chooses to forgive and remember them no more. Thank His name. And in verse 15, it says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The word sick, I'll talk about this in a moment. It doesn't mean physical sickness. It will make the despairing person well. And the Lord will raise him up. You know, over the years, I've personally witnessed the relief and the joy, the healing that a person experiences when they've acknowledged their sin to God, when they've brought all this crap into the light and let Jesus purify them from all of it. Yeah, I've seen the joy. One pastor says a woman who had come clean with God felt such a, such a burden lifted from her. She went home and weighed herself, convinced that she'd actually lost physical weight. She felt so light. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But uh, anyways, another pastor tells a story of a farmer who was paralyzed from the waist down uh, as a result of a cow kicking him in the back. And this man became very bitter as a result. He was bitter against church, friend, church friends who had reached out to him, who hadn't visited him. He was bitter against the insurance company who hadn't paid up. He was bitter against God for letting this happen. The pastor visited him. And just in their conversation, he quickly detected that there was a lot of resentment and bitterness in this man's life. And he said, you know, God may want to heal you. But he won't do so until you first deal with resentment in your life. The farmer bowed his head and he began to weep almost uncontrollably for 10 to 15 minutes. Deep sobs, confessing his sin of bitterness and to God and asking God to flush out all of the anger, all the hatred that had been building up inside of him. At the end of it all, the pastor prayed for him and headed home. Well, the next day was a Sunday... The man came to church first time in close to a year. And at the end of the service, the pastor gave an invitation to come forward for prayer. And this man got up out of his wheelchair, walked down to the front of the church and recommitted his life to Jesus Christ. You see, in this instance... It was clearly God's will for this man to be forgiven, for this man to be restored to health. But he needed to deal with his sin, his rebellion, his resentment. And when he did, Jesus lifted him up. Or let's say the person who calls you is physically sick. Perhaps they're fighting a very serious illness like cancer or a heart condition. Well, again, the very first thing we need to do in a situation like this is to come to the Lord and ask Him 
Lord, what is your will regarding this person's health situation? See, in this situation, we're not talking about a principle. We're talking about a specific person and their situation. And so we come to the Lord and saying, Lord, do you have a rhema word for this person? This may involve an extended time of prayer, seeking the scriptures, specifically asking God if he's got a rhema word for us, for this individual. I recall a time I was praying for someone who was facing the prospect of a very serious illness. In fact, his physician informed him that it was pretty much 99% sure that it would be a very serious um, illness. As I was praying for this individual, I was overwhelmed with the sense that this person would not be afflicted with this disease. So I continued to pray, but I always prayed with a new sense of confidence and faith because I believed I'd received a rhema word from God that this person would be okay. Now, I didn't shout it from the rooftops. I did not stand behind this pulpit and announce it to everyone at Center Street that person X over here was, was not going to get this illness. But I did mention it to my wife and one of our staff members. And when the sick person called me after receiving a pathology report and told me that there was no disease, I celebrated with them, of course, but I wasn't surprised. Because you see, in this instance, God revealed his will to me through a rhema word. And so if God reveals to us what his will is through his word or through a rhema word, we don't need to pray if it is your will. Because we already know what his will is. Or at least we believe we know what his will is. Though we should always pray with humility, with a submissive spirit, we can pray confidently that God will hear our prayer of faith and that our prayer will be answered. Because we have a sense of his will. On the other hand, if we're unclear or we're uncertain as to what his will actually is, then it is not a cop-out, and hear me clearly, it is not a cop-out or a lack of faith, as some believe, to pray something like, Lord, our faith is in you. We're uncertain what your perfect will is in this situation. And so if your will is different from what we're asking in this prayer. We know that your answer is better. And that is truly what we want you to do in response to our prayer. We want your will to be done. This prayer of faith is a prayer of submission. You see, we should always come to God with a spirit of expectation, of course. Because he's God. <laughs> There's nothing impossible for him. But when we're not clear what his will is, we need to also come with a spirit of submission. Well, actually, we need to come all the time with a spirit of submission. A prayer that acknowledges that God is God and we're not. He's in control. 
He's sovereign. And that even though we don't know what his specific will is in this situation, we believe God will do what is best for this person, knowing that in all things, Romans 8, 28, God works for the good of those who love him. He's on our side, folks. We may not always think he is, but the Bible makes it clear he is for those who love him. In the words of Tim Keller, God will either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Now, I just want to point out that in verse 15, when James says that the prayer of faith will make the sick person well, I touched on this a moment ago. The word sick in that verse, verse 15, is a different word than the word sick in verse 14. In the original language, it does not refer to physical sickness. It refers to a despairing heart, a heart that has lost hope. And so that verse would be better translated this way. And the prayer offered in faith will make the despairing person well again. The Lord will raise them up. And I point this out because some people use the verse 15, the way that it's written, to make the claim that if the sick person has enough faith or those praying for the sick person have enough faith, that the sick person will be physically healed. Well, that is not what this verse is saying. It's not promising that a person's physical sickness will be made well again. It's saying that their despairing heart their broken spirit will be made well again, will be restored. The Lord will raise them up. And over the years, you know, we've seen God minister his grace to those who were despairing, not only because of emotional sickness or because of spiritual sickness that comes from sin, like we've talked about, but also because of physical sickness. Even when we haven't clearly known what God's specific will is regarding someone's health situation. And have prayed, Lord, we commit this person into your care and we trust you to do what is best. We've witnessed their despairing heart healed and restored as God ministered his grace and his peace to them and raised them up through our prayers of faith and the truth of his word. Just knowing that they had committed everything to God in prayer lifted them up. Now even though it's God's general will that we all be well in body, for reasons we don't understand, it's not always his will to heal every person at least not in this life. And we need to be so careful not to conclude that if someone isn't healed, it is because they lack the faith needed for their healing. Or that those praying for them lack the faith needed for healing. I have joined with other spiritual leaders in our church. We've prayed for people's physical healing and we've seen people healed. 
But we have also prayed for people who have not been physically healed in this life. This is a mystery, friends, that we don't understand and we won't really understand until we see Jesus face to face, until we know fully in the next life. Jesus healed many people. And a number of times in the Gospels, it is recorded that Jesus healed everyone that came to him for healing. But he did not heal everyone, even though he could have. When he came to the pool of Bethesda, there were many others around that pool who camped out there just like the man that he touched camped out. There were many people around that pool who undoubtedly called out to him for healing. But the Bible records that he only healed one man at that pool that day. The Apostle Paul was a man of great faith. And he prayed for three members of his team. Now here's a man that was healing people left, right, and center. But he prays for three of his team members, Epaphroditus, Trophimus, and Timothy, whom he dearly loved, like a son. And he prayed that God would touch their body, that he would heal them, and yet they were not healed. I mean, he was giving medical advice to Timothy when he wrote him. He said, you know that troubled stomach you've got? You know, take a little bit of wine. Stop drinking water, drink wine. Three times he prayed. By the way, it's not advice I'm giving anyone here. <laughs> Three times he prayed that God would heal his own thorn in the flesh. And of course, there's all kinds of different perspectives on what the thorn of the flesh was. Many believe it was his diminishing eyesight. He may have had cataracts. And yet God, for whatever reason, said no. That his will was to keep him in this difficult place so that God's strength would be made perfect in weakness. We simply don't know the ways of God. The question we must all settle is this. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he is a good God who has our best interests at heart, whether it feels like it or not, or seems like it in our circumstances? Do we believe that his will is right and good and perfect? Jesus did. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I mean, after asking his father if the cup of the cross could be taken away, he said, but not my will. This is the human Jesus speaking. Not my will be done, but yours be done. He trusted the will of his father. Johnny Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident when she was 17. And she's been in her wheelchair for 50 years now. She's had all kinds of people pray for her. And when she was here a while ago, she said sometimes the real healing is not physical. 
She said her wheelchair, the pain she has suffered, has pushed her close to her Savior. She said it has given me the opportunity to need Jesus desperately where I may not be humanly inclined to go. Well, someone in our church has been on a similar journey and through it all has come to a similar place as Johnny in realizing what it is that really matters in this life. And I'm just going to ask that you would welcome Dr. Ed Less as he shares a little bit of his story. Would you do that right now? Thank you, Pastor Henry. Good morning, everybody. I've just had an anniversary of sorts uh, in January. Uh, it's been 10 years uh, since my life was turned entirely upside down, completely upended. Uh, at that time, I was living happily in Calgary with my wife, Sherry, and two young children under three. Sherry and I had both finished our medical residencies recently, in the last couple of years. She in obstetrics and gynecology, myself in pediatrics and emergency medicine. And like many newly minted physicians, we were up to our eyeballs in debt, but suddenly our cash flow was awesome. And so we used that. We bought a new house, we stocked it with new furniture, we bought a new car, we traveled, we made lots of plans. And to borrow a line from a popular song of my youth, the future is so bright I gotta wear shades, was my view at the time. And you know, I, I felt like we had earned it, that we deserved it, and, and really, I took credit for it. But I was a fool, really. I had God in my life at the time. I certainly knew plenty about him. I'd been raised in a deeply religious home, and my parents uh, labored mightily to have us stay on the straight and narrow. Uh, as soon as I was able, I threw all that off, and I went my own way. And I think it was 10 years before I willingly set foot in church again, apart from some weddings and so forth. And during that time, I set about uh, pretty openly violating most of those very rules that I had been so carefully taught when I was a kid. And it wasn't until I was in medical school years later, and I met my future wife, Sherry, that I set foot in church again at the behest of a mutual friend of ours here at Center Street. And as impressed as I was by the teachings of uh, Pastor Henry, still I continued to pay only lip service to the idea, lip service to a right relationship with, with God. And, and frankly, I viewed my church attendance at the time as a way to sort of keep my bases covered, you know, to keep God in my back pocket. I was really in charge of my own life, I thought, and making my own decisions. And really, it was working out okay. You know, things were going well. But I had, at the time, been experiencing some neck pain, some headaches, stuff that I had chalked up to probably a bulging disc from some high-speed car wrecks and so on. I used to play competitive soccer, hit the ball a lot. And despite my wife's urgings to get it checked out, I just carried on, ignored it, until I started to have waves of dizziness, and Sherry had had enough, and the next thing you knew, I was lying on an MRI table. And that MRI scan, that 3D picture of my brain and my head showed a big, ugly, malignant tumor nesting in the middle of my head. And it had eaten through the covering of my brain and it wormed its way into my cerebellum, was wrapped around my brain stem, and was starting to choke off one of the major arterial supplies of oxygen to my brain. I was in trouble. Big leaf to channel Donald Trump. 
my life was in danger, and I was shocked, scared, floored. And I knew that if I died, which was a very real possibility, that I would spend eternity apart from God. And so I turned to God in desperation. I had no real expectation that he would hear me. After all, I had scorned him most of my life as captain of my own ship. And I thought he had every right, really, to withhold his grace and to turn his face away from me. But he's not that kind of a God. He turned his face to me. He comforted me. And one of the first scriptures he brought to me was from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And in verse 16, all the days ordained for you were written in my book before any one of them came to be. They were powerful words that I clung to as we tried to move forward. And God had placed us in Center Street Church, and we were positioned to draw heavily on the resources that this awesome place has to offer. Pastor Kervin Roggs, who had married us, met with us repeatedly, prayed with us, and counseled us, and convened a circle of healing prayer around us, anointed me with healing oil. And I had in my life, by God's great grace, a wife who genuinely loves me and supports me, cares about me, a woman with unshakable faith in God, with seemingly unending resources, limited, unlimited supplies of kindness and generosity and resilience. And she went with me down that very rough road that I soon went down, and it was rough. I had multiple craniotomies, surgeries, had meningitis, radiation, multiple long hospital stays, lots of complications. And in the middle of all of that, we lost our house. Apparently, our brand new house had been improperly constructed. It was leaking water. It was rife with toxic black mold. The air was poison, essentially. We left it and many of our belongings behind. And I've never forgotten that summer of 2008, 16 or 18 months later, looking back and realizing that in a short period of time, I had lost my job, my health, our house, our belongings, any confidence in my own abilities and my own smarts was totally gone. And I never would have chosen those events, of course. Fortunately, it wasn't up to me because God used those events to shape my life for the good and to bring me into right relationship with him through his son. And the very God that I had abandoned didn't abandon me. He showed me who was captain of my life, and it certainly wasn't me. And he went on to bless us further. I was able eventually to return back to my clinical work in the emergency department at the Children's Hospital. I've enjoyed life richly with my family, now with four kids. And I'm grateful, more than I can express. But still, the cancer battle is not over. I still have cancer, and twice it has come back. Most recently in November, I had to go to Toronto to endure another nine-hour craniotomy where they tried to excavate the tumor and the arduous recovery that followed. So I don't know how my story, my cancer story ends. I don't know when it will get me, if it will get me. God knows. God knows, and that's good enough. That's good enough for me. And I won't pretend that the last 10 years have been without dark days and dark times. There have been plenty of those. And my reformation hasn't been neat and tidy. Far from it. Suffice it to say, I have not been his God's star pupil. But he's a master teacher. And he has endless patience and boundless love and all kinds of time for me. 
He's also the master physician, and he's the most important specialist on my case, and I know that when I need him, he's always on call. He's an amazing God, awesome God. Thank you for listening to me. What a story. You know, Dr. Les's story reminds us that God has not redeemed our lives to make us happy or comfortable or free of trouble. He has redeemed us to make us more like Jesus. When Johnny was here, she said, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And that's a close friendship with Jesus. She said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair with him than on my feet without him. If you're physically sick today, God may remove your sickness. And that would be great cause for celebration. And it's important that you continue to pray about that and have others pray with you about that. But if not, if you will trust him and surrender to him the way Dr. Les has, he will remove anything and everything that gets in the way of you being close to him. And one day, we're all going to realize that's fundamentally what matters. Now, even though it's important we keep all these things in mind, I want to challenge you not to let the mystery of unanswered prayer discourage you or prevent you from praying. I remind you that many times we have not because we just do not ask God. You know, I love Christians who love to pray. I love Christians who love to pray for others, who never want to be guilty of missing a special blessing or healing from God because they didn't pray but who want to give God every opportunity to bless their lives or the life of someone else. What I've seen is, is that the people who keep on praying, who keep taking people to the Lord in prayer, who keep pounding on the door of heaven, these people see God answer so many more prayers than those who hardly ever pray, who are cynical because they figure that God doesn't care about their situation or isn't going to respond to their need. So while it's important that we have an accurate biblical understanding of healing prayer, I so much want to encourage us all once again just to keep praying because prayer makes a difference. In the words of James, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So as we close our service, I just want to invite you to come forward after the service. We're going to have pastors. We're going to have prayer partners up here. Whatever it is 
that concerns you today, be it emotional sickness, be it spiritual sickness from sin, be it physical illness, come, bring it to the Lord in prayer. You know, the worst that can happen to you if you come is you'll not only be prayed for, but you'll be profoundly loved in the process by people who love to pray, who love to bring people to the Lord. So I want to invite you to do that because I know it blesses and pleases the Lord when we come to Him in prayer, when we acknowledge that we need Him. Would you stand? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you and please make your way up here for prayer. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.